The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. And today I want to talk to you about a love that conquers fear. It's a reflection on an excerpt from the story that we're following, the narrative that we see in Acts 16, 16 to 40. Before we get there, though, I want to just reflect on this idea of love and fear. I don't know if you remember this television show. It might still be on. Fear Factor. Um, crazy show. Um, they used to subject contestants to these terrifying situations, and I guess the ones who um, could withstand the most terrifying things won the game um, and were rewarded somehow. But they played on sort of those common fears that we have, fears of heights and eating gross stuff. And those are the ones that freak me out the most eating, like, wiggly things. Uh, they put people in confined spaces, and uh, they did all sorts of strange things, and people would freak out, and they'd be disqualified. Um, but the fear that, that, that I want to talk to you today about that is cast out by love is not really that kind of fear, because that kind of fear is actually God-given. <laughs> That's a, an instinctive sort of survival uh, fear, uh, that makes sense. Um, we need to be careful and uh, not subject ourselves to situations like that. The fear that, that I want to talk to you about this morning is actually the fear that, um, well, Roll, Rolling Stone magazine actually wrote, a, wrote an article about it entitled, Why We're Living in the Age of Fear. This is the safest time in human history, so... Why are we all so afraid? And basically, it laid out this idea that there's this general sense of foreboding that exists in our world today. A sense that doom is right around the corner. That something horrible is going to happen. Remember, I think it was Robert Schuller used to say, something wonderful or something good is going to happen to you today. Well, I don't know, you know, but it really, if, people, if he was saying something today, he would probably be saying, you know, something bad's about to happen. We have this feeling that there's, you know, like everything is going awry and everything is amok. Um, and that's sort of an underlying fear in this age of fear that Rolling Stone is talking about. Let's just think about that type of fear for just a second. It's a really deceptive when you think about it. Because it's, it steals our present sense of self, of, of well-being. That sense that all is well and I'm living life and maybe even life is good. But it steals that by helping us or making us consider a possible consequence in the future. So here we are living our lives in the present, and fear destroys our present with the possibility of a future problem. It steals today by dreading tomorrow. 
And as the Rolling Stone article went on to say, it, it suggests that we're probably living in the safest era of history ever. I think of medical advances and scientific advances. And we all live long lives. We live in, especially in the West, we, we have security. We are, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're safe. But we have this feeling, there is this feeling acknowledged by, I think, probably most of us that there's, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a fear of the future because things are bad now and we kind of wonder how bad it's going to get. John wrote this in 1 John 4. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Powerful statement is perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. God does not want his children, as we read just a little bit earlier. God does not want his children children to live in fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of sonship in which we cry out, Abba, Father. He does not want us to live in fear. God's perfect love that casts out fear addressed the most basic underlying core reason for our fear. And I would suggest that I could argue with you and, and, and break down any of your fear to basically this one concept. And it has to do with our relationship with God. If there is a God and I am created, if I'm at odds with that God, I have a lot to be afraid of. But if I am at peace with that God, I have nothing to be afraid of. And that's what Scripture tells us. That's why our salvation, um, that's why our salvation is such great news. It's because we are not at odds with God. And God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Even when bad things happen to us, we can know that. Ultimately, God is working out the good for us, and we can rest in that and not be afraid. We read in Colossians 2, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness to God, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross. So the impediment, the barrier between us and God is gone, and God's love is, is, is lavished on us, and we are good. <laughs> we are in good standing 
in right standing with God. And therefore, you start to look at all the fears, the fears of the future, that in that, that sense of impending doom, that anxiousness about what tomorrow will bring, all of that falls away in light of the love of God and knowing that we are in right standing with God because of what Christ did on the cross. In the account that I'm going to read now from Acts 16, there's a lot of fear. Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey. And they come into this place where bad things start to happen. And you would think that fear would dominate their lives. And I want you to just, as I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm not putting it up on the PowerPoint, I just want you to listen as I read it, Acts 16, 16 to 40. I want you to answer in your mind these two questions. Who should be afraid? And who is afraid? Who should be afraid? And who is afraid? So here's Acts 16. Nice little story. Not so nice, but... At least it's a story, it's a narrative, and easy to follow along with. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Nothing wrong with that. She kept this up for many days, however, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and jailers were commanded to guard them carefully. A jailer, it says. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke and the word of the Lord to him, sorry, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come out themselves and escort us out. He had attitude. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Remember Lydia? Where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Who should be afraid? Who is afraid? The fortune teller. This woman. I think when she's yelling out, these are the servants of the Most High God, I think she's yelling that out, out of fear. Even the demons fear the Most High God. And she would yell it out. These are the servants of the Most High God. But it became such an interference in the ministry of Paul and Silas, such a, um, a distraction that Paul determined that this wasn't from God. And so there's this fortune teller. She has the fear of God in her. She also has the fear of her handlers. Because if she doesn't produce, her handlers don't produce. She's afraid. Then there's the fortune teller's handlers. Of course, they're afraid because Paul and Silas have cast out this demon uh, of this woman, this fortune teller, that they're going to lose their income because they made a lot of money off of her. And so they're afraid of financial ruin. Then there's the magistrates. They're afraid. They're afraid of the crowd. And then, and then ultimately, because Paul makes the point that I'm a Roman citizen and you have no right to treat me like this, they're afraid of Rome. And so they, they usher Paul and Silas out. There's the crowd. They're afraid. They're afraid because of the change that Paul and Silas are bringing. This is the big concern. They're going to, you know, they're, they're causing us or telling us that we need to change. We, we need to become different than we are now. They're, they're upsetting the apple cart. They're afraid of change. Then there's the jailer. He's so afraid after the earthquake, he's going to kill himself because the prisoners have been set free. He's so afraid of the magistrates. And then there's Paul and Socks. 
They're singing and worshiping, ministering even to the other people in jail. They've just been flogged to near death. And they're sitting in a prison cell, worshiping God. There's an earthquake, and they're the voice of reason. No, 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 it's okay. We're still here. We're not going to use this as an, uh, as an opportunity to break free. They stop the very jailer who's held, holding them captive from killing himself. And they say, no, it's okay, don't do anything to yourself. There's no fear in Paul and Silas. But aren't they the ones who should be the most afraid? They're the ones who are being mistreated, slandered, physically abused, jailed. Aren't they the ones who should be afraid? And yet everybody else is afraid. Except Paul and Silas. You see, fear has the power to consume us. Satan uses fear to distract us, to bind us. Remember what Paul said in Romans. You've been set free from fear. You don't need to be a slave to fear anymore. And yet fear is so prevalent. We are living in the age of fear. And this morning, I just want us to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not need to be bound by that fear. Yeah, you should be afraid of eating wiggly worms and going on great heights and being confined and all that stuff, that survival stuff. But you don't need to be afraid of tomorrow. Or you shouldn't have that underlying sense that is prevalent in our world. That the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it, it might be. <laughs> but we don't need to fear. Look at Paul and Silas. Their world was deteriorating pretty quick. And yet they had within them the Spirit of God who allowed them to worship and to have peace in the midst of it all. God does not want His children to live in fear. He doesn't want us to be bound by fear. In His perfect love, He set us free from it. And He wants us to enjoy the freedom and share that freedom with others. Let me just read from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the love that that casts out fear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story in Acts in which we see the power of the Spirit in Paul and Silas that enabled them to not be afraid, to know that they were in your hands. That they had nothing to be afraid of. That their future was secure. Their present was secure. That you would never leave them. Lord, uh, we acknowledge that our world needs the fearless as beacons of hope. I pray, Lord, that we would be those beacons of hope, that we would be rocks, that we would be salt and light, that we would bring hope in this age of fear. In Jesus' name we pray. The Apostle Paul was, he really grasped this so well. And he actually saw suffering as a privilege. He said that he counted it a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ, that he could identify with Christ. And he saw death as gain. (laughs) Like, what do you have to fear, right? If, if persecution, even physical calamity, you see as sharing the sufferings of Christ, and death, which is the greatest fear that we all have, is gain. What shall we be afraid of? Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.